0: Everybody, welcome to Lucky Number Thirteen episode of the Punk Till I Die podcast. Baker's dozen, and, baby. Ah, uh, yeah, you got it. So this is one of your hosts, Tom Trauma. On the that other voice you hear calling out in the wilderness is Liverpool Neil. Say hi again, Liverpool Neil.
1: Cheers, everybody. How's it going? You know, we're we're
0: just chilling in our Midwest homes, and uh, we're actually super excited about number thirteen. Because why why are we super excited, Neil?
1: Because we have a guest. We have our second guest.
0: We do. We have, we have punk rock royalty with us, though he will certainly demur and, and pretend he's not. But we have with us, well, first let me give a little build up here because uh, this is one of my favorite bands of all time. I've actually got a sort of a Grateful Dead like devotion to this band where when we can, my buddy and I uh, follow them around, you know, try to catch two or three shows on every tour. And I know there's nothing a punk rock band loves more than. Fat, bald, middle-aged men to follow them around with slavish devotion, but but we have with us today, uh, B. A. the singer for Indiana punk legend Sloppy Seconds. So say hello, B. A.
1: Hello, Tom. Hello, Neil. Hello, hey.
0: everybody listening. Good,
1: good, uh, to to- good to talk to you, man. Thanks for coming on. We really appreciate it. Now, yeah, uh, pleasure you- to be here.
0: So you, so I, I hope that everybody knows who you guys are, but for those who don't, can you give us just a, just a real brief kind of like history of your, of how you guys started out? Well, um, we,
2: um, we never actually set out to form a band. Uh, this was just me and three of my friends that, uh, um, got loaded at a party. I was having one night. <laughs> we all just, uh, plugged in and uh, started screaming through the microphone. I mean, that's or I did anyway. Uh, Danny actually knew how to play at that point and uh Danny um,
0: was the original Danny was the original guitar player. Danny Roadkill Thompson, yeah. Yep.
2: He uh he uh, had uh a little PA and uh guitars and amps and uh Steve Boba I think just like Begged and borrowed instruments from uh, people they knew or neighbors or something, and we just started tearing through all these uh, old rock and roll songs, rockabilly and garage band kind of stuff that night. So uh, was, I became so what, the singer by default because I was the only one who could remember the words to the songs.
1: So, so what? When? When are we talking about here? We talk. It looks like eighty-five or eighty-six or something.
2: A little earlier than that, I think uh, we. Um, First played in the summer of '83. Oh wow! Um, wow. Is it that and early? then our first um, actual public performance was in the fall of '84 in Bloomington.
1: Okay, and and so you fr- took
2: us a year before we even had a full set of material to be willing to take on stage. And you and your and you. <laughs> and from that it- was a, We only had one original song at that point, so it
0: was just, what, what was it? What uh, was
2: the first song? first song we ever wrote was Jerry's kids. Oh, was it? Oh, cool. (laughs) Yeah. It was kind of, you know, if you recall, the mid eighties was really, uh, politically motivated punk rock. And I kind of thought that's what you had to do in order to be a punk rock band at that point. And we, our first couple songs were kind of pointedly political. And then after a few times you just goofy. figure well this really isn't for us you know i mean <laughs> is anybody going to do political punk rock better than doa you know or yeah one of those bands so uh we just uh kind of fell into writing about what we knew about
1: and there was a band called Cherry's kids right weren't they from like new mexico yeah, or something boston. oh they're from boston oh boston. oh, oh okay. there yeah boston okay band. gotcha yeah yeah, yeah. In
0: fact, chris doherty who i mentioned earlier played on their first album their first album is called Is this is this my world? It's freaking classic. But anyway, that's neither here nor there. Um, so and then you put your your first the first seven inches was your first seven inch, and that was what eighty seven ish.
2: Yeah, that came out in eighty seven. We had uh, done a recording of Jerry's Kids that was on our compilation soundtrack, and that was our first actual release that made it to vinyl. And then we did the uh, first seven inches the next year. And I think that was kind of gave a blueprint of what the direction of the band was going to be. You know, we, I don't know if we'd even, uh, uh, uttered the words junk rock at that point, but I think that, um, <laughs> uh, that, uh, record kind of gave a solid indication of where the band was going to be going from there.
1: So who were the kind of bands that you were listening to at the time?
2: At the time, well, you know, obviously we've always been listening to the Ramones and other first generation punk bands, you know, the Dead Boys. and the, Sure. Uh, the, the Dictators, Sex Pistols. Sex Pistols were a really huge influence on us musically. Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't think, you know, uh, you know politically, you know what what are you know midwestern suburban kids from America going to get out of uh the political aspects of the sex the songs, but musically it was just such powerful driving music that you
0: guys do you guys do a great know. version of con they do a great version of con again Neil
2: of what now. Oh the professional oh,
1: gotcha. song.
0: Oh gotcha, Yeah yeah yeah. Is yeah. that a professional song? It's not yeah. a pistol
1: song? No, it's oh not. Oh my a, god. No. So wow, you it it's
2: the professionals. It. Well, actually it's uh, it was just from um Ladies and Gentlemen the Fabulous Stains. I don't know if the professionals ever actually recorded it. It was
0: just uh, yeah. that um uh, the looters from that movie. From the sound Yeah, from the soundtrack do or whatever. Guys, yeah. do you guys do another pistol song? Or have you done another pistol song? Am I miss I, I thought you guys used uh, to Oh, we
2: this a lot of times do uh, No Feelings
0: as an encore. Okay, maybe that's what I'm thinking. Okay. No, I know you guys do a pistol only... song for an encore.
2: <laughs> yeah, I think that's the only proper Sex Pistol song we ever learned. But, okay. Um, what were we talking Oh, The Influences. Um, so, you know, um, the Dickies. Red Cross was a real big influence on us. I think um, probably for the fact that they – Wrote about trashy 70s culture so much. All their songs had to do with that and their whole band image. Um, and um, The Replacements were a big influence at the time. Okay. Really? So, yeah.
0: I, I, that, I probably yeah, oh, wouldn't yeah. have guessed that. Oh. Just because they were so, of course, they had some goofy songs too. But they were sort of, uh, you know, The Replacements are always kind of considered a thinking man's punk rock band. Well, not that you guys not that you guys I'm aren't thinking about alcohol I was gonna, I was, gonna, I was gonna say that a drunk <laughs> you know a drunker uh, band yeah
2: <laughs> so then, yeah um well you know I, I don't know how much they um, influenced us uh, yeah. musically I mean i I enjoyed listening to them and you know yeah. their, their first couple albums you would definitely have to say were pretty uh, thrashy punk but i I think it was just the looseness and the you know, the fact that they were just on stage having fun yeah. and didn't really take drinking, themselves drinking too terribly of seriously. Of
0: yeah. Drinking multitude of beers. And yeah. Um, and then, so 89. So the, the jumping in point for many of us, I think that are, have become fans of the band is the destroyed album, which came out in 89, which is amazing. Cause that's over 30 years old now, but it's still, the album still seems to have legs. Um. So was that, So how, how did the destroyed album come about? Well, um, we
2: had in mind that we wanted to make an album. Um, We had no idea how it was going to come out. Um, But we sat down with uh, Paul Mayhern, who's Paul Z from the Zero Boys, and has produced most of our recordings. And he laid out at a meeting before we started recording, he said, he just held up uh the first generation x album he said these guys had no more ability than you guys do when they went in the studio and put this classic record out yeah one of the best one of the best pep- punk- i expect huh? from you
1: <laughs> one of the best punk rock albums of all time let it me really say yeah. that's sure first generation x album yeah i mean and
2: and you know we all started laughing and he didn't crack a mouth. He said, I'm not kidding, man. He said, I think we could put out a record that could stand toe-to-toe with this album. Um, That's a so lot that of, kind of
0: uh, That's a lot of confidence in you guys, definitely. He's that way. Uh, he
2: he. Paul is very serious about the uh, context of where he and everybody he's associated with is going to fall in the overall history of music. He's even teaching oh. a course right now at Indiana University about the history of punk rock.
1: Oh, amazing. I'd have to check that one out. Yeah. That sounds amazing.
2: Yeah. So um, so we went in the studio and um, it was a really long, drawn-out process, as a matter of fact. We got a lot of bed tracks done early on, um, but then we would run into stags. Well, we didn't have any funding. You know, I mean, we would basically have to uh run up charges on our credit card to get the studio time you
0: you had no label backing at this point
2: no no we didn't we we had no idea what label was going to put it out um we just knew we wanted to record an album and you know paul had the confidence he he said what was the the album out
0: man was it a commercial studio or was it like a, a home studio or what was the studio situation
2: it was uh, called deal recording studio, which uh, was run by the, uh, uh, I think he was like a cousin of a girl I was dating at the time or ah. had dated previously, something like that. And she recommended going there. Um,
0: but it was a professional studio. It was a, real had, studio.
2: it was a studio. I mean, it, it was, um, he was building a studio and I think, mainly to do the kind of um, lucrative contracts that, you know, like a lot of local radio commercials and that kind of thing. So, yeah. So, I mean, that was probably his goal. And uh, Paul had heard about this studio and had recently split as the house producer at the studio he had been working at. And said, well, look, Mm -hmm. I've got a place where we can go to do this. So we would go up there and um, uh, book these weekend long sessions and then um, we'd have to wait to pay down our credit card bills and uh, <laughs> in the interim we'd write batches of new songs. I mean, b- uh, by the time uh, the recording on the album was finished, it had been almost a year since we had started wow. recording it. And, um probably three or four of the songs that ended up on the album weren't even written when we started recording it. Hmm. So, um, it's kind of ironic that it, I think it sounds as such a whole piece when in reality it was all kind of fragmented the way it was put together. Yeah, I
0: had no, I got to say, I had no idea. Huh. Yeah. So, um, it's just amazing because I think you you know, you know kind of captured light, lightning in a bottle, and I think you never can be aware of that while you're doing it, you know, especially if it took you a year to do it and you were putting it together. I, yeah, I would have never guessed that that wasn't recorded in like 12 hours.
2: Well, one thing that I've said before um, is that it's important to understand that we had actually been playing around the scene – and uh, developing our material for, what would it be, five years before we actually, or at least four years, before we went in to record the album.
0: So you had most of them polished up pretty good, the way you wanted them.
2: Well, uh, you know, and most of them were songs that were less than six months old when we went in to record the album. I mean, if we do what a lot of bands do, which is to record the first 13
0: songs we wrote,
2: that album would have been a piece of shit. Nobody would have ever wanted to listen to that.
0: Only only worked for the Ramones, huh?
2: Well, yeah. <laughs> and actually, their first three albums, like I guess, first, were supposed
0: to... Yeah, 28 songs in a row they wrote and recorded. That was their first two albums.
2: Yeah, that's pretty much it. Um, yeah, I, and I would say they are the only ones that really ever got away with that. But, uh, um, so that was part of it. The songs were really fresh at the time. We were on a really... I would have to say, hot songwriting streak. I mean, we would literally go in to do some recording of demos or something, come home from the recording studio and write two or three more songs on the spot. It it was just that kind of uh, uh, fertile period in our songwriting. So that was a lot of it. And in the course of that year, um, the Zero Boys... First album had been been reissued on Toxic Shock, okay. and Bill Toxic, the guy at the label, had asked, "Which was Paul, where was that? Know.
0: Where was that out of?" "Ba, what, what? What is that? Chicago or something?" "Where was Toxic Shock?"
2: "No, Toxic Shock was um, um, Arizona. They oh, were Arizona. Uh, okay. Yeah,
0: um that that uh, record's been reissued in Yeah, they're based in Tucson. I was gonna say that's one of the few records that's been reissued more times than destroyed." <laughs> the Vicious
2: Circle oh. Yeah, hey, if you got a good thing You might as yeah. well bank it <laughs> yeah. Um, So um, Yeah, the guy at the label Had said, uh, yeah, I'm not sure what we're Going to do with our next release, I'm really excited About this Zero Boys release, and Paul said Let me tell you about something yeah, I'm Working cool. on So um, he sent the Demos along to Bill Toxic, and he Said, well, yeah, that that sounds good I mean, if you have this much faith in the band We might as well do it so that's how uh, the Destroyed album was originally released.
3: Huh.
0: That's that's. I say a lot of that is news to me, and I, you know, I'm a devotee, so that's that's cool. And then at at that point, that album did it get? Was there a lot of traction behind it when it first came out, or did it take a while? Um.
2: No, I think it uh, it made a pretty good splash right out of the gate. Uh, well, the the seven inch had also. Uh,
0: Okay. Now that into, was self-released. You know, what? What you do it, this... The seven-inch was self-released. Oh, or did you? Did you have? It have was. A yeah,
2: we yeah. created the alternative testicles the logo. Alternative testicles <laughs>
0: <on>. The Al <laughs> testicles logo lives on.
2: Yeah. Um. We actually, and Winston Smith, the artist who did the original alternative tentacles artwork for uh, yep. uh, DK, Black uh, flag. he sent us a, a congratulations letter with all this. Yeah, it was a, it was a pretty good prank. He had like legal stamps on it and everything that <laughs> lawsuit enclosed, open, you know, oh, at your that's... own risk and all. So that oh, was pretty funny. That uh, funny. Yeah, but he just said, "Hey, could you send me a couple copies of this? Uh, I wanted to give one to Jello and some other goofy friends of mine." You know, so yeah, 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 sure.
0: I mean, if I'd be um, certainly been more concerned if you got a letter from Kiss talking about legal action, right?
2: Oh, we've had that uh, in the back of our minds for a long time. <laughs> <laughs> you, Neil, That's you know the one you reason I'm glad up. this uh, record is not quite any more well known than it is. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, yeah, because the well, cover
1: the cover is based off of the uh, Kiss album Destroyer, right, Destroyer. or something. Yeah, it's like a, a knockoff. Yeah. yeah.
2: So yeah, you, we we didn't have that concept either when the record started. We were uh, you
3: didn't have around. a title or anything
2: no no we we didn't know what to call it or anything and they're like well you know what what are some cool albums i said well when we were kids you know the ultimate was destroyer. kiss destroyer we always referred to sergeant pepper as the beatles kiss destroyer album." <laughs> <You know>? <laughs> <laughs>
0: that's funny everything's um, about context right uh. yeah
2: so um um one of the guys uh younger brother happened to be standing there he said yeah, but you guys are always trashed all the time. You should call it destroyed. And I'm like, oh wow, that's pretty funny. Yeah,
1: perfect, perfect. <laughs> and and yeah. the cover uh, the
2: cover
0: you, art is is classic. I mean, it's a great, great. I mean, especially for a band that had no budget. I mean, it's an amazing piece of artwork on the cover. Honestly.
2: Well, we ended up paying for that over the course of a year or two. <laughs> uh, <laughs> well, good. I'm glad so we got paid a, for that
0: because it is sort of an iconic image, you
2: know. Oh man, we we there's no. Uh, underestimating how um, instrumental that album cover was and bringing recognition you, know, c- to the band,
0: you know, okay so. so going back to a young going back to a young Tom not really being familiar with you it might have been the fact that it was a kiss parody that made me buy it the first time and I'm not 100 100- it was for a lot of people I'm not and I'm not 100 about that because it was a I think I I don't think I was right I wasn't there at like 89 but I definitely got into you got, so the, the, the record has been reissued a ton of times, but one of the more oddball reissues was the one that got me into it. And that was the metal blade version. And that might've been the oh. best selling of all the versions. I'm not sure, but, um, so yeah, for some, how did, how did that, boy, that's a weird story in itself. How'd that end up happening? Was the, well, guy, the uh, guy a fan or something? Yeah. Brian
2: Slagle. He was, he was, he was a real big fan of the record and, we played in. Probably
0: uh, right, LA or something, was right? That.
2: No, actually, it was uh, it was on the East Coast. It, it was City Gardens in New Jersey. Oh, okay. And he had flown in to see the show. Oh. <laughs> and he met with us afterwards, and we said, well, we're doing these records on Tang now, but, you know, our, our five year lease on. Uh, destroyed is up with toxic shock and he said i've got to have it i've got to put it out and we're like,
0: so that was 94 really? we
2: don't company? really have much to do with any of the other bands on your label he said yeah he said that has to come out on uh, metal plate
0: so that's sweet we though. worked and out well, the that, deal
2: that night i think
0: <laughs> and that had the great because i think that's the only version that has the great alice cooper cover on it oh not, of, the, uh, the serious, serious cover,
2: right yeah yeah well yeah i mean i we we did that is um, to contribute to a uh, Alice Cooper tribute album that was okay. on Triple X I think.
0: Um, That's funny. We were just talking. About, Neil and I were just talking about Triple X Records. was Angry Samoan records. Uh,
2: <laughs> yeah. But, oh well, you can talk about Angry Samoans all day. That, uh, so that.
0: I wish I want. I hope they come back out of hibernation. I mean, I know they're getting pretty old now, but so so that was cool. But but you had already signed. You were already involved with Tang by then, so you weren't going to put out an album for Metal Blade. That just wasn't going to
2: happen. Well, that was what. I mean, I count my blessings to this day. Tang heard the demos and passed undestroyed.
0: Oh, way to go, that Curtis! Still
2: blows my mind to this day.
0: Yeah, you're you're lucky, probably right. Oh, they probably sue gosh. you every time you re- tried to reissue it.
2: Well, I mean, we probably still wouldn't be earning any money from it if it come out on tank. <laughs> do you do I you mean, still get do
0: you, do you still get checks from destroyed? And I'm not asking you how much. Oh yeah, well yeah. I, well, like yeah, I mean, mostly, but, I mean, I'm sure they're not not life changing money at this point. But you still get you still get checks from destroyed.
2: What from like the previous labels? you mean, yeah. Well, I mean, strictly speaking, we own destroyed. I oh, mean, you
0: own okay. It, so it's o- it's it.
2: only just been leased to various labels oh, so, I mean, so like
0: the detour reissues you just licensed it to you licensed it to detour and they pressed however many they pressed
2: right now we we're money off the uh, digital downloads and oh uh,
0: oh yeah yeah. you know
2: okay. we, we make we make uh, individual contractual deals every time it's been reissued you know like okay for the detour thing it was just strictly on vinyl so it was like well we'll Just
3: do some take
2: a percentage of yep. the pressing and okay. you can get all the money for the label out of uh, your Th- share that, of those.
0: That's going to lead me to another question, but I'm gonna I'm gonna wait. I'll wait for a minute. But so so this gets us to the Tang years, which you made your second record, your second full length. Knock your block off on Tang. Hey now, Tom, hey a... Tom, Tom. Let yes. me
1: let me break in for a second. I think it's been twenty twenty minutes. So I think, we do a song. Yeah, why don't you play a song? Do you want to play a song off of Destroyed, seeing as you've just been talking about it? Or... Well, let's do let's do the live version of. So the first time
0: I ever saw Slobby, going down memory lane a little bit here, it was '99, and they were playing this. Believe it or not, they were playing this big package tour, and it was called was it Social Chaos, B.A.? Social Chaos. Wow. Was that the name? Was that was that the tour you were on? Was that the name of the tour? Yeah. Okay. Sure and it, was was. Like, it was like DRI, and it was really a crazy lineup, but it was an amazing lineup of punk bands. And one of their tour stops was, believe it or not, at Milwaukee Metal Fest. And they were in this yeah. tiny, sweaty little – not tiny, but this sweaty little room at Milwaukee Metal Fest. So that was actually the first time that I saw you until you came to Grand Rapids many years later. And, and, and Yeah, was that's, not,
2: uh, I, yeah I, that man. was one of the Stranger Top uh, stops on a very strange
0: tour. <laughs> yeah, it was a strange tour because you got Sloppy Seconds and DRI on the same tour, I mean, and DOA and all kinds of different bands at different points, and I, I don't want to miss you know re- remember wrong who all was on that tour oh but anyway, yeah chelsea was on it and, chelsea uh, holy shit the vibrators stop yeah. it
1: stop it God. the Louis.
0: business for a while right because you were t- <laughs> I remember you telling uh me yeah, you yeah the business was on the tour the one-way tour.
1: system
2: uh geez, who? Uh, oh uh uh dh pelligro was on it uh doing some kind of solo thing that he was oh. doing, tsol yeah wow. tsol that's
0: right it was but yeah, it was a really so. it was a really cool thing it was a really cool tour but yeah for some reason they booked you guys for one day in this room at a at Milwaukee Metal Fest and the thi- and the thing I loved and I remember asking you years later if you still did this and you didn't and I was actually a little disappointed you used to play the intro tape from the John Waters film so your one of your best known songs if not your best known songs is I don't want to be homosexual and right. there's the intros from a John Waters movie right pink Flames? yeah it's
2: from uh, female trouble Oh female, oh, female trouble. trouble. Okay.
0: okay. Yeah. So there's a like the, uh, long...
2: discussion between uh, Aunt Ida and Gator, I think is
0: his name. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and it's very funny. And they used to play that tape, and everybody knew the words. So people would just start kind of talking along to this tape. Oh, yeah. It was, it's like I the Pledge of Allegiance, always, you know. You should bring that back for this next tour. And uh, anyway, so the opening track, I believe it's the opening track on the live album, right? Or am I wrong yep. about that? So the, no, opening you're right. track, the opening track on the live album is "I Don't Want to Be a Homosexual," and um, so let's let's go ahead and play the live version of "I Don't Want to Be a Homosexual." Sloppy Seconds, go for it. So that was the live version from live, no time for tuning from, I don't want to be a homosexual from yeah. I don't know. I said that poorly, but you know what I'm talking about. So from sloppy
1: seconds. <laughs> I don't want to be homosexual. Yeah. yeah, yeah you there the, you go.
0: People there you go. Out. Yeah. So, so, okay. So you, you, you signed some kind of a deal with Tang. Was that kind of a traditional record deal kind of situation or was it just a one-off thing or what, what, what were you in, into at that point? Um, we, uh,
2: had already released uh, Destroyed. Yep. And um, Tang was a real big fan of uh, the first seven inches that we put out. Um,
1: okay.
2: Or Curtis was, I should say. Curtis Casella, the owner.
0: But, but he but he and is. And like
2: I said, su- surprisingly, uh, he passed on the Destroyed demos, which I'm eternally grateful for. So... <laughs> Um, we only had the one-off deal with uh, uh, Toxic Shock to uh, do a five-year uh, issue of uh, Destroyed. And in the interim, we started working on the phones for a new album. And uh, Tang said they definitely wanted to do this record with us. So uh, it ended up being a a deal where while we were gathering the material for, uh, what would become knock your block off, we put out, um, uh, the compilation, the first seven inches, and then yep. which was yep. uh, a collection of, uh, the EP tracks and, uh, some single B sides and, um, uh, a couple half baked demos that we had done that we're never really going to make it on an album. So we put that out, uh, as kind of a preview uh just to let people know hey we're working on a new album but uh, here's some stuff you might not have in the meantime and um and then actually before we put out um, knock your block off we did the lonely christmas uh
0: ep also the yeah, yeah seven inch so
2: that yeah um and that was mainly because it was a seasonal thing and we previewed a couple of the tracks that ended up on the next album on the um, CD EP. I guess it was five tracks. Um, and then we had the uh, vinyl, which was just Lonely Christmas, and then the two real rough B-sides.
1: So, so, so we're talking like 90, 92, 93 at this point? Something like that? 92 was when we
2: did the compilation album, the first seven inches and then some, and then uh, 93 was when
0: uh, Knock Your Block Off album came out. Okay. Now that was not produced by Paul Z, or am I wrong about that?
2: No, no, he produced it.
0: Oh, he did produce it. Okay.
2: Mhm.
0: So it's funny. You guys probably had more budget on that one than you did on the first one, I assume, or not really?
2: You would hope so, because Tang's still claiming they never recouped any of their investments. <laughs> is that <what> that is?
1: <laughs> That's pretty
2: typical,
0: isn't it? Punk labels.
2: Um, yeah, we had. Uh, yeah, we we actually had a budget to work with on this one as opposed to just uh, uh, running up charges on our credit cards so oh, uh that's nice yeah um it's um we we're really excited about the album when it came out and I, I i still think it's a good listening experience but you know it certainly hasn't had the same impact as our first album did and uh um, Got I think classes, the uh, well, uh, it has a lot more mid-tempo stuff, uh, which you know I think they're pretty good songs. They're not necessarily the best songs to play live, so I think that probably has some bearing on the popularity of the record. You know, if you uh, yeah. you know, you're especially a band like us. The songs that people hear live are the ones that really stick with them. So. Well, there's probably about four or five songs on that album that you can play live and they sound play. pretty decent. Yeah. Some of the other ones are a little more produced and don't really translate well into a live setting.
0: Now, yeah, Jeff- there's definitely a few you play every time. Or at least a couple that get played every time, um, but it doesn't. It doesn't seem to have quite the sonic. Yeah, it, maybe it is the speed thing. It doesn't quite have the sonic punch of the first record. But that being said, the truth of the matter is, you guys have four full length studio albums out. I mean, every one of them is. It, it, you got to buy every one of them. It's not like it's you know, it's not like you have fourteen albums out and they're all the same. They're all sort of because of the scarcity of them. They're all sort of. They all have their charms, you know. Now as the... a fan, I, as a fan, I would say that.
1: The funny thing is, looking at I'm looking on Discogs right now with the uh, at the original of Nokia Your Block Off and talk about a sign of the times. It's got the Parents Advisory uh, swearing sticker on it from the, <laughs> from the PMRC. So uh, yeah, which is t- really
2: funny up. when you compare it to uh, Destroyed or some of the other. Albums <laughs> yeah, which yeah, out. Uh, yeah, probably the least offensive record we ever did. <laughs> you yeah.
0: you're right. It probably is. Yeah. Let's see so us. so so how did it? you made the one record for Tang and that was it. Was that you were, that was all you were contractually obligated to do. Well, you did the, you did the compilation album and then you did knock your block up. Is that was all you were obligated to do at that point?
2: There was an option to do a third record and uh, your
0: option or their option. It was their option.
2: Okay. And, uh, um, finally I just, called up one day i said hey are you actually going to make us do this
0: record for you or not and
2: (laughs) he said no i think there's too much water on the bridge
0: i'm thinking yeah no shit (laughs) so i mean that honestly uh, that was fairly cool of him though at least right he could have been a real dick about it i guess (laughs) Oh, I think. Enough, <laughs> okay. No, said. I, well, because, because there's so much, because there's so much good stuff to talk about. We'll, we'll skip over that. So, so you find yourself after about 1993 or so, you guys have no label at this point. Right. Uh, so we, this, this um, is actually kind of, oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, go ahead. Sorry. You can tell. About well,
2: um, we not only didn't have a label. Um, that oh, was geez. when uh, Danny left the band too.
0: Yes. So we, we're
2: um, fulfilling tour obligations with guys who were just like sitting in with us as you we didn't have a
0: full-time replacement a yet
2: full-time guitarist. Yeah. Um, and um, yeah, so that's what we did. We we did a few tours where we just had some friends of ours sit in on guitar and yeah, we uh, kept the name of the band alive and in fresh in people's minds, but you know, we, Really had to find somebody who we were going to be able to work with in the long term, who could contribute as a member of the band. And so, so when, we.
0: Now I was yeah, going to say, go when, when Danny left, did you think about this is it? We're done. We were four friends, and if it's not those four guys, it's not the band anymore. Did you consider it at that point, or not really?
2: Um, not at that point. Um. I didn't know. I was was a lot more intimidated about the idea of not playing with him. Looking back, than I should have been, and um, uh, you know, we had just gotten to the point where we just could not continue together, and um, (laughs) you know, I'll, I'll just say that technically when. He quit the band for good. It wasn't the first time.
0: So, ah, so this had been kind of looming over you guys for a while. Yeah, it had
2: been. It had been moving in that direction. So, um
0: and Dan, you know, you know, Danny had a, had a very unique style. I mean, there's no question that he put his fingerprint on the early, you know, that early band had his fingerprint all over it. um Oh sure, you know, and, I'd never deny that. So, um, so. How'd you hook up with our, our pal Ace, who's been literally been in the band for 25 years now, hardly a newcomer <laughs> or more than um, that, 25 years, right? Well, we, we put up, uh, actually
2: I, I felt kind of silly about doing this at the time, but we put up one of those little, uh, posters that you see on the bulletin boards and record stores and guitar shops and stuff that had the pull tabs down on the bottom sloppy seconds is looking for a new guitarist we which is uh, weird
0: because you were pretty established at that point i mean people knew who you were in indianapolis
2: yeah it wasn't like we were saying hey we'd like to form a band our influence yeah, yeah, exactly. you know i 15 mean literally writing that's what songs the flyer said you know
0: yeah
2: yeah that our main influences are uh <laughs> the ramones and marvel comics you know so. yeah gotcha. <laughs> So, um, so, so you were still. A, and, so
1: you've you've always been an indie. So, were you ever tempted to move out of Indianapolis, or have you always been a local boy? It's
2: no, and and I've uh, I've lived in other places, or I mean, I've been in other places for an extended period of time, and I mean, um, all our uh, family roots are here, and everything. It, it's it's not the kind of thing that. I personally am likely to step away from. So that wasn't was, really ever a consideration on my
0: part. Was, was Ace um, originally from Indy too? Was that where, was he there at the time when he, when you guys hooked up? No,
2: that was a funny thing. Um, we put up those flyers and he called me having seen the ad and he said, well, I think I got a pretty good idea what you guys are into. And I was like, Oh really? Because at that point, Ace had been playing in um, like, uh, Kind of alternative hard rock cover bands. Oh, is that right? That played the circuit, you know, and he was doing, you know, um, probably stuff by like uh, Alice in Chains and stuff like that. Uh, <laughs> but
0: Ace is a know, phenomenal I mean, guitar player. He, he uh, always Ace, kind who of doesn't know. Ace is a phenomenal guitar player, very versatile and uh, uh, an all-around great guy. A little goofy, but great guy. Well,
2: I, he had a pretty. He had just left one of his uh, uh, cover bands that, you know, toured the circuit of all the hard rock bars, you know, and
0: I think he was was kind
2: of disillusioned with that whole aspect of music. He didn't Uh, think it was going anywhere. And when we actually started talking to him, you know, uh, about music, we were really delighted to find out that the, two guitarists he really emulated the most were uh, rick nielsen from cheap trick and uh, oh, angus young that.
0: he's yeah, starting to I look mean, more and more like rick nielsen as he gets older isn't he <laughs> i think Ace. Might well you be tell be... that. i don't <laughs> <laughs> I think he might be becoming rick nielsen no I, I like i love ace i love all guys in the band I, yeah. I anything i say is only coming from a place of love so yeah so um where was Yeah, he at the I time mean, it was, that was our main was, thing are... was
2: we did not want uh, to find some guy that just came in and all he knew how to do was play little Screeching Weasel guitar fills. And I said, you know, we need somebody that's got an actual style. <laughs> yeah. You know, I mean, and I don't, I'm not saying that to demean Screeching Weasel in any way, but, you know, there's so many bands that just do this generic pop punk thing. And you could tell all they've done their whole life is just listen to old albums by Mr. T Experience, Screeching Weasel, maybe even Sloppy Seconds. I don't know, but they, <laughs> they don't branch out at all. And, you know, that wasn't true of the first generation punk bands at all. They right. were all coming out of Hendrix, Glitter, uh, Beatles. and They
0: were Stone. all slightly different.
1: Well, yeah, I know. Yeah, yeah I, I was yeah. about. I was about to say exactly the same thing. That is one of those things that made all those original punk bands so different: is the vast variety of experience and all the different shit they were listening to. So that's a that's a very that's a very good point. So, so where
0: was yeah. he, where was so that he? was the logical? In, I'm sorry. Was he in Nashville? I mean, was he in Nashville at that time, or was he? Where Where was he at? Was he? Um. No, he was. Um. um
2: over Don't near uh Champaign, illinois actually hey hold on oh, a second airport. hold on a
1: second because that's that's actually that was how i got to the states i was i lived in oh, Ch- I, I lived in yeah, champagne this is, for Neil, six, this is where he lived yeah, yeah i lived in Champaign for six years so oh, where, that's, that's you went, super interesting you, university of illinois i was an exchange student down there yeah then i went back for the skateboarding yeah. and the girls so that's uh that's <laughs> that's uh i was there from 83 to 89 actually yeah
2: ah
0: you might have seen some of ace's bands play then <laughs> Yeah, he I he... doubt it. you weren't going to you weren't going to see those hard rock cover bands, were you? New? No, I
1: was not. I was going to Mabel's, going to see uh, other bands. I was not going to see, uh, there was, <laughs> but there, there, was, there was a shit ton of uh, heavy metal cover bands and stuff like that, though. So, yeah, <laughs> those are yep.
0: those, those like smaller towns in the Midwest, man. You can't get away from it. Yeah, so, playing uh,
1: Mabel's. Yeah, so so here it is. Yep.
0: Wait, so, you, what year are we at right now? We are like 93, 94, 94, 95 at this point.
2: Yeah, it was uh, late 93 when we uh, uh, did our first European tour, we came back, we had auditioned Ace, uh, but we really, you know, uh, what we did, I thought was smart. We set up a little mini tour down through uh, a couple shows in Texas. And we said, well, why don't you go out on the road with us and
3: Mm -hmm. see if this
2: works. And uh, we played, uh, three shows over a long weekend, I think it was, something like that. And uh, After the third one, he said, well, he said, if you guys want me, I'm in. You know, And I was like, well, we definitely do. This works great. So, uh, uh, yeah, so I guess that would have been um, early 1994 when uh, we first yeah. started playing with
0: Ace. So, so at this point, you're like, okay, we don't have a label at the moment. We got the band, is we got a new guitar player. Things are going well. At some point, somebody said, hey, we should make a live album. Tell, tell me about how that came to be. Because that kind of brings us um, up to one of the one of the things we definitely want to give a little plug for today.
2: Yeah, we were um, um, approached by uh, Bob McCutcheon, who ran one of the venues that we used to play pretty frequently back in the day in Indianapolis called the Ritz Theater. <laughs> and... Uh, he said, you know, um, you guys should really um, capture your set. You've, you've got this really great local following. And that was another thing that uh, was really fortunate for us. The scene in Indianapolis was pretty dead when we started. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, you'd have to scramble to even find places to play.
1: We had the the zero boys,
2: which really was not our M.O. at all. And um, about the time, a little before Ace joined, about the, I'd say, 1993 or so, um, the Emerson Theater really got rolling in Indianapolis, and it just became our home base. We would constantly (sighs) play the Emerson two, three times a year, draw great crowds, and the crowds just kept growing the scene grew at the same time the band was really hitting its stride. And it was a really great symbiotic relationship more than anything else you could call it. Uh, The crowds really fed off the band's momentum, and the um, band benefited from having this really growing, vibrant scene in Indianapolis that actually started spreading through the whole state and really all the surrounding states.
0: (laughs) It it probably so, didn't hurt that about that same time Green Day was starting to make it big and uh, Offspring. I mean it was ninety four that Green ranted, Day and Offspring yep. hit. Yep,
2: yep. Um, that that was the the same time and uh, so, so, this, the, so the uh, we did is the, different uh, from the
0: Ritz. This is two different things we're talking about.
2: Now they were they were competing venues for a while, oh, they were but competing. about the time the Ritz uh uh closed the Emerson kind of rose up to take its place as the main all-ages punk venue in Indianapolis. Yep. Um, and so we partnered with um, the guy that was running the Emerson theater at the time. His name was Andy Berry. And he said, well, let's record your live album. And then Bob McCutcheon got involved and said he wanted to kind of work with us to promote it. And so we just put it out locally as uh, an independent release i i don't i think if you see the original copies of those cds they don't
0: even have a label listed it just yeah you guys just put it thirty seconds live no time for tuning yeah yeah and you you and, so bob helped finance it or is that, is that what his role was essentially or
2: no are you guys know i mean I,
0: andy barry financed the thing along
2: okay. with uh proceeds from the band but uh um uh, his family had a record store and they sold copies there. We sold copies of our live shows. It was just kind of a thank you to the uh, scenes and the crowd in Indianapolis that had uh, been supporting us for a few years at this point.
0: So it didn't um, have a, it wasn't like there was a ton of foresight into this thing. It was just sort of, eh, we'll do this to keep, give people something.
1: Right. Hold on just a moment. Sure. Hey, Tom, do you want to play another song? Oh,
0: okay. Sure. Let's do, uh, okay, so the the live album actually had one song that they hadn't recorded yet, and they would go on to record on their next album. So let's do the live version of that. This one is called The Queen of Outer Space.
1: Okay.
2: Okay, we're going to do a new one for you now. This one's called The Queen of Outer Space.
0: So I don't know if you be back, BA, or you still taking care. of your Yeah, family. yeah, I'm here. Okay, <laughs> no, we're good. You know, it's funny because we we podcast from our homes now. Neil lives by himself. I have a I have kids and a wife, and I swear sometimes my wife is like, "Oh, my husband's podcasting. I'm gonna go like uh, put pots and pans away, or I'm gonna, or the dog <laughs> will have to go out." You know, it's just uh, so I feel I feel you, man. It's all good. So so you you decide to do this record and and you did it originally on CD only and one of the cool things you got coming out and this kind of is a, is a bigger part of a conversation because actually you're a lot of your stuff is getting repressed. lately, like a lot of vinyl represses, but so you're yeah. putting it out on vinyl for the first time. And that yeah, is going it, to be, I think the beginning of February, right? Yes. Yeah, February 7th. Right. Uh,
2: that's uh, coming out on uh, failure. Yes. who we've done some singles with over the past few years. Yes. And uh, uh, Matt and Adam from Failure have uh, been uh, really instrumental in trying to revitalize the – revitalize. I just made up my own word. That's words. a great word, uh, man. I perfect.
0: Think trademark.
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I should. Uh, revitalize the um, – uh, vinyl record scene in Indianapolis, around, well, Indianapolis, yeah, the state small, of Indiana, yeah, really, would, They're based in stick. Logan Sport. Yes. Um, and, you know, we we did a split seven-inch with them. We did a reissue yep. of the Johnny B. Dead single. Yep. And um, we realized that the live disc had never been released on vinyl. And that just seemed like a natural. Um, it, it's funny to think now, but in the mid 90s you couldn't find stuff on vinyl anymore no
0: was everything dead.
2: was on cd it yep. vinyl was so dead yep and um yeah so there were actually ah uh, it it's really difficult to find vinyl copies of uh any of our uh early records on uh uh vinyl but uh the uh, yeah,
0: top dollar. If you live
2: do album was never out on vinyl, so we were thinking, okay, well, this is a really great opportunity because everybody's uh, go- reverting back to vinyl now, and so um, we approached Matt about doing this, and of course he was really excited about the idea, and we um, had to redo uh, the graphics. Because
0: yeah, the art we looks great. have the all
2: part. the original artwork that uh, well, I mean, the the original, I say artwork, it was just uh, it's
0: like a photographs
2: photo. with uh, text uh, superimposed on it. but yeah, um the artist who did a lot of our uh, pre-press work at the time was actually the artist who did the destroyed cover and all of our early mm. record album covers, Mike Creffel. Mm. And unfortunately, he passed away a few years back. So, mm. a lot of the uh, artwork files that he had for our earlier releases uh, have vanished, and so we had to revamp the artwork. Which, since it was technically a first release in this uh, vinyl format, was not a bad thing. You know, we just kind of got to start. From it's got a little more on. color
0: to it. It's a little more, a little more eye eye popping.
2: Yeah, I, and then we know. actually. Uh, use some of the old uh, photos from the C D booklet just to uh, accentuate the retro aspect of cool.
0: yeah. so, so you... it. Yeah. So it's good that it'll finally be out on vinyl. So my so Midwest Punk scene is very small. I, I met Matt through Matt from Failure Records and Tapes through a friend of a friend and it was just kind of a weird synergy, you know, having met you guys quite a few times over the years and it is really like this seven degrees separation of Kevin Bacon thing or whatever. It's like, if you're remotely involved with the punk scene in the Midwest, you know, you're like only two people away from knowing everyone, you know? So how did you, how did you hook up with those guys? Well, um,
2: uh, Matt's a fan of the band. First of all. Yeah. Yeah, Uh, definitely. He'd he'd been coming to the shows for years. Uh, We've been
0: comparing notes on which shows we're going to catch you at on this upcoming tour. (laughs)
2: Um, so he had approached us, um, about playing the very first um uh record farm anniversary show. Oh yeah, yes, yes. Sir. And um you know, it it's no secret now that um you know, Bo and Ace don't live in Indianapolis, so we yeah. kind of have to You're coordinate. geographically
0: geographically challenged
2: it's complicated yeah. yeah whenever we tour we all have to converge in one place rehearse and then hit the road Yeah. Yep. so you know people are saying hey would you be able to play an extra no we can't do anything next week
0: <laughs> unless you're willing to fly us in and spend a whole lot of money right
2: that's basically it you yeah. know so um yeah our, our things are really planned out several months in advance for that reason yeah. and um um so i apologetically said well this unfortunately is not something we'll be able to do this year but uh you know i'm not rejecting the idea of doing it you know i mean we love to support independent uh record stores it looks like you're doing a great job um so finally two years later we were out on the road on the west coast and um matt sent a text he said okay i think i've got everything in place let me throw this offer at you and uh, see what it looks like. and um, So I did. I just related to everybody in the van literally off my uh, phone text message. And they were all like, okay, well, let's see if our schedules
0: work so out. So that was for to this. play and... a live show? That was to play, play down yeah. there? Okay. That wasn't for like the yeah. Johnny B. Dead single or something? Okay.
2: No, no. Um, and actually that kind of came uh, before we committed to do the live show uh he had asked us if we wanted to contribute to a split seven inch yep. uh the first one i guess had been uh, the queers and uh bass amp and dano the second yep. one uh was uh with danger bird which is the band bass amp and dano were part of and so um we found the old uh, uh i guess a rich, it was just a demo We had recorded as the song "Johnny B. Dead," uh, which had never been released uh, because that had to
0: be a that had to be a Danny song, right?
2: Yeah, it was written right before he quit the band, and so we had a demo of it that we recorded after Ace had joined up. But we were like, "Well, we really can't do anything with this song. It's a tweener, you know. I mean, yeah, uh, we it'd be kind of weird to have." one guy playing on it and when the other guy was the co-composer. So um,
3: yeah.
2: uh, we just kind of abandoned the song and eventually um, when we were asked to do this demo or, uh, or split seven inch, I should say, uh, we said, well, you know, we've got the bed track for this thing lying around. We could put overdubs on it. So we just uh, let Danny know what we were going to be doing it. And we said, we'll give you your songwriting credit. It's just, you know, we're not trying to push it as new material or anything. It's just. Uh,
0: oh, uh, I believe that I believe our friends at Failure did, in fact, try to push it as new material. But that's all right. We'll let them slide. Well, <laughs> uh, yeah, we they
2: call it first new record or what? I, yeah. I, I was pretty clear about that. I said it's not, it's yeah. not a new song at all. Hell, it was probably close to twenty years old by the time they released it.
0: Yeah. So <laughs> it was a good song. It was a good song though. Yeah. You you'd yeah. like that song? You know, it definitely references like. Uh, he represents some old 60s songs. It's a cool song.
1: Well, I see the cover's got uh, good old Johnny Thunders on it. I see yeah. that, and that's Johnny oh. B. Johnny B. Dead, I assume, so there we go. Yeah,
2: yeah another uh, another good piece of artwork. That's by uh, Adam Turtle. That was their, uh,
0: yeah, their in-house guy. He was good, right? That was the failure guy, or was that your guy? Oh, no, no. Uh,
2: he actually is uh, based down in Florida. Uh, oh, okay. And I had found that uh picture that he'd done of st johnny and i just thought oh this this is just ideal and uh, i kept saying you know i wonder if we can use this art and then finally i noticed the name and i was like we know this guy so i just uh uh, contacted uh adam and he said oh yeah absolutely he said in fact i'll dress it up for you and put the song title on it so that it'll look really good so yeah, he um, adapted his own original artwork for the uh, uh, single cover, which I thought was very cool.
0: So yeah, then last spring you guys did in fact play in historic downtown Logansport. I have photographic evidence that I was there, though I have very little recollection of the actual event.
1: I've seen I've seen those it photos, happened. and they're terrifying. <laughs>
0: <laughs> it was really close to St. Patrick's Day, so we might have started the party a little earlier than we needed to. But yeah. I did yeah, know. I, I also have a new copy of Destroyed in beer-colored vinyl in my collection that could have only come from that show. So. Is it
1: is it beer-colored or you just spilled beer on it?
0: <laughs> no, it it made it sealed back to the hotel. It was a miracle, oh, okay. honestly. There you go. Cool. So, so you so Destroyed. So Detour has done Destroyed, and uh, the live album is being reissued detour is also done i believe an endless bummer press right yep they sure did so so just this is just just my inner record collector geek will you have those on the tour do you have enough are they, those going to make it to chicago
2: well let's see chicago falls about midway i would think, I think it's so. towards the end uh, we we should have copies of all three of them okay and the
0: uh uh the live uh, album you'll have.
2: The Joey Ramon single,
0: too, probably. Ah, I yes. Think. I, I have yeah. both variants of that already.
1: Yep. Um, Sloppy Seconds are playing in Chicago on April 3rd, yeah. just so, so everybody so you
0: guys, knows. So you guys are going on tour in the spring, and it seems like, t- typically, it seems like you've been doing late summer, but you're doing spring this year. And let me let me pull up those dates for anybody who's listening. So you're, you're starting at home in Indianapolis. Mm-hmm. Which is pretty cool. It was funny because you know the things I think about because I don't have I've have, you know when my mind wanders I'm like, man, now that the Emerson is closed, where is Sloppy going to play in indie? I'm like the melody's too small, um, and you guys are playing at like a Ticketmaster type place. I mean, it's like it's like so legit. It, it, it's it's unbelievable. yeah, it's a uh, live nation
2: venue.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah, well, it's just, and I don't know anything about the particular venue, because the only place I'd ever go in Indianapolis was the Emerson to see you guys, which, man, I could talk for an hour about that dump. I know it was like your home place, but boy, what an adventure it was going there, wasn't it?
2: Oh, yeah. You can still smell the bathrooms, I'm sure.
0: Well, last time I was there, I think they had maybe one working urinal, like for everybody. And know, it was probably and, in the ladies' room. Yeah, well, and <laughs> what was great, Neil, was at the at least, I think at the end, they could get booze in there, but you weren't supposed to have booze in there. So you go watch the band, and there was this tiny little bar behind it, and everybody would run, so you'd get like 200 people in this tiny bar trying to get drinks between bands, and it was actually a fun experience, but it was, the venue certainly left a little bit to be desired. It was basically what, an old movie theater, right, that had, just had the seats ripped out of it or something?
2: Yep, it was a movie theater that I think had been in operation since at least the thirties, maybe earlier.
0: Um, That was also the last time it was remodeled.
2: Well, (laughs) it, uh, uh, it, it had undergone several changes over the years that we played there. And yeah, that was kind of our feeling too, was, you know, is there a venue big enough to accommodate a sloppy show that, uh, uh, We'll be able to put this thing on at. Um, so, yeah, this is going to be a little different. Uh, it's certainly a big enough venue. It's uh, called Deluxe, and it's one of the uh, several venues uh, in- encased in what's called the Old National Center, the main theater, which, has, which where is most a really of big headline. The really Bureau Theater.
1: So, what are we talking? Yeah. Like 1,000 people? 2,000? What are we talking?
2: Uh, the venue we're playing at, uh, I think legally is like 850. Oh, nice. Nice size.
0: A thousand if need be.
1: That's a good size. So a little um, bigger
0: than the Emerson, because the Emerson was about a 500, if I'm not mistaken. Well, legally, I
2: mean, we've, we've crammed <laughs> yeah. over 700 in there before. <laughs> Heavier,
0: Yeah. It was, it got pretty hairy in there from time to time. Um, so, so I'm trying to pull up the dates and I'm having a hard time pulling up the date. but you're starting in Indianapolis and then you're shooting East. I know and you're doing, yeah, we
2: uh on the uh March twenty seventh is uh Indianapolis at Deluxe in the old national center. And then the uh next show on Saturday the twenty eighth of March is in Altoona, Pennsylvania. It's gonna be the first time we ever actually played Altoona. Which is Probably right the in the middle too. of Who knows, the state. It might be great. Yeah, I see, you got three. Well, three pencil- you know, I mean, three, we we find fans in the most unlikely <laughs> oh, places. I hey, mean, there people was, have there approached was us from Altoona, so there there are fans there.
0: There was five hundred plus people in Logansport, Indiana, to see you guys. You know, last year, and you know, that's that's a small town. That's not a. I don't think that's really a town that's really on anybody's radar. I mean, it's not a tiny town, but it's not. You know, so yeah, they if you build it, they will come. If you show up, they will come. I have no doubt.
2: Yep um let's see so after that oh the 29th of march is a sunday night gig that's um, at a place called kingsland in uh, brooklyn new york and okay. that's actually the reason that this uh um spring tour is taking place because uh uh we got approached with a really good offer for this uh, new york gig and i said well east coast tours are much easier to put together than when you get out West of the Mississippi because, and it's been a few years since you guys together. did, the,
0: it's been a few years since you guys did the East coast.
2: Probably about five.
0: Yeah. The demand yeah, is there. Probably yeah. been
2: about that long. So, um, yeah, we're due to go back there. And then, um, we're playing at, um, uh, Randy's man cave, in uh, <laughs> Bordentown, New Jersey. I saw that is, too. It's a great uh, name. Yeah. Um, uh, now that's, um, Randy now, who used to uh, uh, go by the name Randy Ellis when he ran uh, City Gardens in Trenton, New Jersey, which was legendary uh, punk venue in the 80s and 90s.
0: Wow, so you guys go way Uh, back.
2: Great documentary out about that place. So we've known him for a long time, and now he does showcase shows in his uh, record store. So Hmm. that's what that one is. Uh, and then Philadelphia we're playing on uh, the 30th or sorry Kung I, Fu Necktai, sorry great, the 31st
0: venue. yep yep my editor my uh, editor my Kung Kung News editor John Gentilly will be there he loves that place and he loves you guys so
2: yeah so that's uh that's on the 31st on the 1st of April we're going to be in Baltimore at Auto Bar oh yeah
0: another great venue and the
2: 2nd uh, uh we're going to be in uh, Pittsburgh uh, which Pittsburgh has always been a great venue a uh, great city for us I should say uh we always used to play at the 31st Street pub so this is going to be at oh, a yeah. different venue since the pub has finally closed down um, and then on uh the 3rd we'll be in, in Chicago at Reggie's
0: this is where this is where you will find both Neil and I we will we will be yeah. catching up with you right. at Reggie's let's on forward the third. to that Neil lives just yeah. north of Chicago. And of course I'm in the lovely Grand Rapids area. So,
2: well, and our shows at Reggie's have always been really good. Yeah. Uh, we love working with LA. It's always good to play there.
0: Now the, and interest- the bull this, this time, that's a nice bonus too. Those guys are great too.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I'm looking forward to, uh, checking them out. We've, uh, sometimes we play just with like, uh, local bands up there. Uh, I think yep. one time, uh,
0: I parasites played with you
2: over you there. Played I know. up there, Anti Scene was with us, so
0: yep, that yep, was yep. really good. Stuff. Yep, I saw you over there with the Anti Scene, and once with, at least once with the parasites, I know. Yep. Well, that's okay, what, yeah, as, yeah, that makes sense. Both of those
1: bands. As an as an aside to that, I just wanted to talk about you did. Um, you had a CD out, uh, some live uh, live stuff at the Fireside Bowl, correct on the VML?
0: Oh, the seven inch, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh um,
1: yeah, yeah. We sure did. We did that. Uh, Live at the Fireside, series. Right? Now, did, Great series from the 90s, yeah. Did Did you enjoy playing the Fireside? Because I loved going to the Fireside. That was one of my favorite venues in the city at the time. Yeah,
3: it was It was a lot
2: of fun. That was a good thing to do at the time. Um, and uh, I think it was Brian Peterson used to put on those shows at the Fireside Bowl. At least uh, he was the guy who booked us there. And uh, we liked it so much uh, when our support band from one of our uh, German tours came over to visit us uh we booked a little mini tour and brought them up which band along was that
1: which, which band um,
2: they were called lacry okay oh they
1: L-A- put an album
0: on vml too C-R-Y. they got a seven inch on, a couple seven inches on vml back in the day I, I vaguely I, remember. yeah
2: I, I was about to say i think uh, they uh actually got a couple stateside releases on vml as a result yeah. of playing
1: with us up there at the fireside bowl now were you ever <laughs> were you ever at the fireside bowl tom
0: I never was, no.
1: Okay, cause, I mean, I, there was... I don't know
0: why either. Because that was really my era when I was real active, but it seemed like there were so many great local shows. We didn't have to go to Chicago so much. Like now, if I want to go see anybody, I have to go to Chicago or Detroit. There's nothing. The local scenes are much. This seems like bands don't tour like they used to. So you have to go to a major city usually to see a show.
1: Yeah, I mean, it was crazy because it was it was a bowling alley for it people. Bowling, that, yeah. For people who don't know, it was a bowling alley from the 1920s. So the people would actually be bowling yeah. while the bands were playing <laughs> so they'd be so so they'd be playing in the corner and amazingly enough the sound was really good <laughs> in that place uh,
0: so, so so let's let's okay so there's actually a couple more tour dates after that after chicago you're heading up to green bay
2: green bay yeah which has always been another really great stronghold for us we we've been playing there since the early 90s and always had really good shows up there
0: uh promoter looking forward, i'm looking forward to it we're gonna, we're gonna be up to, we're gonna be up at that one too me and me and my big bald buddy scott are gonna be up at that one too so oh, we're looking forward to that.
2: yeah that uh that, that'll be a really fun stop we, we've played all the classic venues there over the years kutzka's hall the concert cafe and well, so, plus i see one uh, of
0: rev norb's one of rev norb's bands is opening for you i was hoping i was hoping it would be boris i literally was like praying that it was gonna, that boris was going to be able to play with you guys oh yeah and we played, we played with boris play the sprinkler
2: it. lots of times over the yeah. years but uh
0: i don't think they play yeah that,
2: it, it'll be great to see everybody up there again really close-knit scene and a yep. uh, lot of then, friends then last but not least
0: you're making the long drive back around the lake
2: Right, yeah, the very last show is going to be in Detroit
0: on the yes. uh, uh, fifth. So, which uh, is ironically the closest show to me, and I will not be at that one, but that's all right. <laughs> but I was in a perfect world; I would go to all four Midwest shows. But in the real world, I had to keep Mrs. Trauma semi-happy. <laughs> there you go. So, and I'm sure BA can relate. To it. Okay, so I, we, BA, we've had you more than an hour, man. I really appreciate it. I've really enjoyed talking to you. And the fact of the matter is, I could talk to you for another two hours, but I'm not going to do that to you because I'm sure you want to you know, spend some quality time with, with Mrs. B.A. or whatever you do on a Sunday afternoon. So I the, the quick question I have, so almost all your stuff is going to be back in printed vinyl at this point. The the Tang stuff notwithstanding, because, because you really don't have much control over that. So what about the... What about the nitro stuff? Is that ever it, wh- where's where's that at? I mean, if you're in a contracted legal dispute, I don't want you to say anything that'll get you in trouble. But is is there any chance we're going to see the the regurgitated EP and the uh, more trouble than they're worth on vinyl anytime soon? Because that came out in the mid 90s. Yeah, I hope it's so. Impossible um, to get vinyl. Yeah, and when you find them, they're really expensive.
2: Yeah, yeah. I mean, even the CDs really have got even throat.
0: the CDs are really expensive.
2: Yeah, I, I've seen the vinyl copies of more trouble going for. Anywhere from seventy-five to two hundred dollars. So, yeah, uh, it's uh, we're we're optimistic that we might be able to get something straightened out with that because uh, um, at the time we signed with Nitro, it was Dexter Holland's label yep. from the office. Oh, is it not but, anymore? Uh, he has sold it for oh, what man. I understand. I, I did not realize. Okay, I did not know that. Yeah, I think there's somebody else that owns the rights to all that stuff now. So, uh,
0: it's probably like some Chinese um, conglomerate or something, right? It's,
2: I, I honestly don't know. It, it doesn't you know, sound like the anybody. The
0: bigger, uh, the bigger it is, the better chances you have of getting it back. Cause you'd be small potatoes if you were in a big, you know, if you're owned by a big, uh, but I'm sorry. Anyway, I cut you off. Go ahead. So, well, you're working you working know, on it? I
2: mean, I, yeah, it, it would be nice to do. I mean, especially if it's, uh, You know, maybe we could even just work out a a partial thing to where we can just release vinyl on our own or something like that, you know, Um, because somebody's making money off the digital downloads and it's not us.
0: Oh, you're not even getting that.
2: Well, no, I mean, uh, we used to get pretty regular royalty statements from uh, Nitro, but, uh, you know, Ah,
0: they've dried up.
2: As the years go by, you know, I mean, I don't even know if they have our proper address anymore. So, I mean,
0: whatever well, Dexter, money they've been a...
2: earning from the downloads, we haven't been seeing it directly. So, hopefully, you know, we can maybe just they got say, a big, well, you know,
0: maybe they got a big check waiting for you that you're just going to get it all at once, and it's going to be like retirement money and maybe
2: we could say hey why don't you just keep that money and give us the rights to the record
0: back?" <laughs> yeah maybe when you, so that was a pretty big deal i mean that's that was a good deal it seemed like it at least that was a label on the rise when you guys were was there obviously now you're adults you have jobs you have families you've all you're all doing your own thing but like when you were on nitro was that was being in sloppy seconds your job or was it never were you never able to do that you know what i mean was that oh, your full-time no uh, that,
2: no back in uh, Uh, 98 99 we were on the road like probably six months out of the year
0: so you made your living doing sloppy seconds
2: yeah i mean we would we would just like uh do temporary part-time work when we were here in town like working at record shops and things like that and i mean our focus was totally on uh, making the band a success at that point i mean it's We've scaled back over the years, you know I mean what we've done is we've we've found a way to make the band very manageable um, it's're I'm not kidding we can go out and play 10 shows in 10 days now and come back with uh, more money than we made when we were out on the road for two months back in the '90s.
0: Uh, that's it, awesome it's
2: just it, well it's you know your um your day to day expenses just overtake uh, any money you make from the gigs after a while because you yeah. know if we we had a um, a big uh airport uh, transit uh, bus that had to be maintained and uh, oh, yeah. You know, that, you know, that runs on diesel. It's just like me training a tractor trailer, you know. So uh, <laughs> that, that kind of stuff just, uh, we would end up having to push the thing to get it to kick into gear. It was just all these,
3: you know, <laughs> and
2: if you pull into a town and they say, well, we can get you on the road in four days, but it's probably going to cost you about $2,500. <laughs> oh, great. We're supposed to earn 200 tomorrow.
0: <laughs> well, the cool thing is, you know, I mean, I think in a perfect world, you know, maybe the Green Days would be working at gas stations and you guys would be... You know, superstars. But the fact of the matter is, you never aspired to that. You, you didn't write music to aspire to that. And just the fact that you guys are still able to be at it, I mean, it, it makes a lot of us happy. And also, the fact of the matter is, I, the, you know, your shows are kind of a scarcity at this point, and that makes you more valuable. You're not like Joe Queer, who's been kind of running the queer's name into the ground by constantly touring. You know, people, you know, you, there's a desire. You know, you guys are playing the East Coast on a Monday night. You better get your ass down to your show on a Monday night if you want to see Sloppy Seconds, you know. And I, th- I think it works. On a small scale, you know, I think it's kind of a happy ending, if you will.
2: Well, I, I feel like you know, um, there, there's certainly a supply and demand aspect to it. You know, I mean, if we um, if we were out constantly, you know, the shows wouldn't be as well attended. Not, I, regardless of that, I will say we have got one of the most dedicated fan bases you can imagine. I mean, That's people
3: true.
2: just they don't give up on us they no. they you know it's you know they remember the first time they ever came to one of our shows and uh they talk about which show they went to that was probably the the best of all the times they've seen us i mean our, i i'm so grateful that uh people have uh, stuck by us that way
0: the camaraderie at the shows is unbelievable. Mm-hmm. I think anybody who anybody who can make it, anybody who can hear my voice right now, you need to uh, you need to come see Sloppy Play. It's so much fun and you'll feel like uh, you'll meet strangers and it will feel like you've uh, known them forever. So I so
1: I'm, I'm going to be going for the first time. So this is be my time, first yeah, time 50 seeing some you guys. Years old,
0: he's going to be seeing you guys for the first time, so Yeah. There you go.
1: So, I look so forward to seeing you there. Yeah, oh, man. That's, cool man.
0: That's great. You know what? That's a that's a great place to wrap it up. Well, let's play. Let's actually, play...
1: Can, oh, can I? I have I have one question because this is going to tie into another guest the that we're going to have. Very for... patient
0: with us. I think I, I think I'd have been like, man, you guys going to leave me alone. But I, I'm like, oh, I'm sitting here going, man, I hope they put out another reissue soon so we could talk to him again. I could easily go another hour, <laughs> but, but we'll uh, we'll we'll save it for another day. Well, I just sorry, have one, yeah, I just have one question.
1: And this ties into another guest that we're going to have later on in February. So did you ever play any shows with the Digits? Um, I don't
2: think we ever did. We might have been slated to play a show with them one time because they were, um, they were based around Champaign, right?
1: Yeah, they were originally from Mattoon, Illinois, but they moved to Champaign probably Platoon. in like 85, okay. something like that. So they lived there for a while, yeah.
2: Yeah. I don't think we actually played a show with them, but uh, Ace knew some of those guys, and he, uh, he he went to a number of their shows when uh, he was living around that area.
1: Okay, cool. So we probably went to the same shows, and that's cool. Now, I just wanted to ask, because we're probably going to interview Rick, uh, the lead singer, guitarist, songwriter, in a in a few weeks. So I just wanted to see if there was some synergy there. Well, yeah, absolutely. Give him a shout-out. Right right Maybe there. he does know Ace. I don't, I don't know. <laughs> okay. Yeah, I'll ask. I'll ask for sure.
0: But hey, man, we we really appreciate you talking to us, and I I hope this tour is a rip roaring success. Like I said, the two shows we're we're gonna Scott and I, who you know, my buddy, we're gonna be at two. We're gonna be at Chicago and Green Bay, so we're looking forward to that. Neil's gonna be with us at Chicago, so man, I can't wait. You know, there it, there's I know I'm not the only one, but there's some of us that sort of like, you know, avoid family vacations when you guys are going on tour. We always try to try to go you catch a few shows, and it's always it's always great fun. I, I think about ten years now we've been going to as many shows as as possible, and and it's a, always a good time. And uh, yeah, man, I hope the the reissues come out well, and I hope I hope you have vinyl copies of everything I don't have. When I get to uh, <laughs> when I get to Chicago, I'm gonna buy them, and then I'm gonna run through the horrible neighborhood and stash them in my trunk.
1: Hey, you want to play one so more song? So we we'll do our best. <laughs>
0: all right well, let's do one we're gonna do one more song and uh let's let's want to do joey ramon we should do joey Ramone. yeah i
1: do with joey Ramone for sure
0: so the, this is one of the great singles from the last sloppy seconds album full length which we didn't really have time to get to but maybe some other day we can do that but uh it's a tribute to joey ramon you can't kill joey Ramone. definitely a, a modern a modern punk classic so this is a sloppy seconds from the uh, single slash uh endless bummer album you can't kill joey ramon i So thanks a lot, BA. Best of luck to you, man. We'll see you soon. All right. Thanks
1: a lot. Good talk to you guys. Thanks. I'll be in touch. Thanks, man. See ya. All right, Tom. See ya. See ya, Neil. Bye-bye. Bye, everybody.